0: Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Jack Barazzini. Hi, Jack. Hi, Dom. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Thomas Anarho. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Dom. Good to be here. Good to have you. So uh, before we get started, I do want to have a little programming note just uh, to, to let folks know what's coming up. We don't often do that, but we, we there's actually something coming that we know we're going to want to discuss. And that is uh, on Monday, June 15th, Apple will be have no, that's a couple of days ago, June 22nd. <laughs> I went back in time for a second. Uh, on Monday, June 22nd, Apple will be having its uh, worldwide developer conference keynote uh virtually this year of course and uh, so there's, there's expect to be a lot of interesting tech news having to do with your iPhone and iPad and your Mac and various things like that. There's been rumors that Apple's going to announce that they're switching from Intel CPUs to its own ARM processors. And so we'll, we'll be talking about that when that happens uh, and what it could mean for regular users and uh, what you could expect from your next iPhone or your next Mac and and that sort of thing. But we'll talk about that next time. Uh, so uh, but that's just a little preview for for you all. Uh this time, uh we want to talk about a couple of big things that are in the news right now. And one of them has to do with facial recognition. And what basically what happened is um following all of the uh, the the George Floyd uh protests uh the, and the the talk about uh police, you know, the 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 national conversation about policing issues. Uh IBM announced that it will no longer offer, develop or research facial recognition technology. And that was followed by Amazon, whose uh, technology called recognition with a K, because, you know, <laughs> that's what we do with with words these days, uh, that they won't they're having a one year moratorium. So it's not quite as uh, uh, <laughs> a final as IBM's. We're no longer doing this, uh, but they have a one year moratorium in law enforcement use of their technology and then microsoft followed up as well that they won't sell facial recognition technology to police departments and uh, i i wanted to kind of discuss what does this mean for us as individuals why would we be concerned about this technology in and the police having the use of it and what it is that these companies would like uh politicians to do the the legislators to do so what do you guys think of these this decision uh, by these three companies. And and there are more companies that do this, but these are the th- three big companies, obviously.
1: So what do you guys think of this? I think it's a good idea, honestly. Um, I don't think it's going to do anything in the long run in, in terms of changing what we're doing with facial recognition. I think this is mostly lip service. But I think at least starting that conversation about how we use these technologies and how they interact with our freedoms is a good thing to be talking about.
2: Yeah, I it's the right conversation to be having, but I'm kind of sad that these companies are out of the race for it because they're the ones that could really solve some of the big problems that we're having with it, like the fact that right now it misidentifies minorities at a much higher rate than it does white Anglo-Saxon males, for example. Right.
0: That's one of the things that got mentioned was is that people say that the facial recognition technology is not reliable, that it does misidentify people, and that causes uh, police and others to then uh, detain and harass, you know, it's what they say, detain and harass people who, you know, innocent folks. And uh, But like you said, if the problem is that it's not accurate, shouldn't we be doing more work on it? Mm -hmm. Or maybe we, we put a moratorium on the use of it in, you know, live while we fix it or make it better. Uh, right. That might be the a, a better solution.
1: I think that makes the most sense. I also think that it's good to, it's good to be aware of those issues, but we're not going to stop the innovation of technology. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and, like, it makes more sense, like, there's been a couple other companies, like, with Amazon, but with IBM, it sounds like they're basically just saying we're not going to do it anymore, which I don't believe for a second.
0: Mm. Right. Or... <laughs> they they just realized that whatever line of technology they've been developing is a money loser, and decided to have a pub public relations victory right. by declaring right. themselves the winner and walking away. I mean, it's entirely possible. You know, we yeah. have to be have to be aware of that sort of possibility as well.
2: And to be honest with it, the 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 technology is not hard. the The visual recognition technology uh, is really easy. You can go find uh, a few tutorials uh, about using just. Almost bare bones Python with just a couple of libraries and make a decent facial recognition software that recognizes that there is a face in the picture that you're seeing and then can point out a few small details about the face and with just a little bit of extra work. You can make it that next level of decently recognizing uh, each individual face at least to the limits of what the technology is. And, right. and the big issue is that we have some issues with camera technology and also issues with um, how we recognize faces using the, the, the visual tech. Um, and that's what causes the problems with minority faces because a lot of that relies on the coloring of the face. And in a picture that doesn't have as good lighting or that has lighting coming in from a different direction, a lot of that detail is lost because of the way our cameras work and the the basis of the light and the, the, the tones of light that the CV is looking for.
1: I think there also needs to be a conversation about should we be able to like scan a crowd and then find out everything about everyone in the crowd just based on facial recognition and then linking it to their data. Like, let's say you're looking for someone and you scan a crowd and you see other people that have a past criminal criminal record, but they're just out and about, and you know they've served their time or whatever. That is that you, I could see that becoming an issue where those people would be more likely to get checked because of that prior history, based on the fact that this database pulled that up.
2: And and when you hear people talk about using this technology, it's very scary because it it goes into that minority report territory where you, you know one of the big co- talking points is that there were cameras all over London and we could have prevented some terrorist attacks by having seen these people on the streets of london that's like you, you'll hear that if you dig into this at all if you watch john oliver's uh, presentation from last week tonight about this whole thing that's one of the things that comes up and it's like well what are we supposed to do? are we supposed to literally start a minority report situation where you know Pre-crime. there's a possibility yeah. that you've been associated with a terrorist cell so every time you go out on the street you're
1: gonna get picked up and hauled in for questioning and that's what happens in china they have their social credit thing where if you're not you know, green with them. You cannot pump gas at the gas station because everything is paid for through facial recognition transactions. Mm-hmm. And I read an interesting thing talking about how basically the only reason we're not like China is because of our ethics and our freedoms. Like we have all the technology here. We just haven't done that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot like I remember the TV show Pearson of Interest, which actually... Went off the you know ended its run a few years ago, but that was a, a big part. of It was the idea of facial recognition everywhere. They were kind of a, a little bit ahead of their time, but you know the they they sort of the good guys in that relied on this facial recognition to find people you know anywhere. Um, and it doesn't take a lot of imagination to to see the ba- the bad things that can happen, like it's already happening in China, and it it could it could happen here because what we do is we do we do Sometimes we do bad things for good reasons, right? just like the idea of you know oh well, we, we really need to stop terrorists, right? Like we need to stop terrorists at the airport, so we're going to make everybody take their shoes off before they get on get on a plane, and then suddenly we're rifling through people's data on their phones and laptops, uh, looking for financial crimes like whoa how, how is this terrorism related mm-hmm. and and that's the, the the problem some some and it's not just these big three companies that are the problem. Um, There's been others who've recently been in the news for kind of shady things like Clearview AI, which Mm -hmm. um, was found to be scraping social uh, photos from social media sites like As in going through any public photos, if I post a photo of me and my kids, they scrape it and they use it in their database and they have my name attached to it. And now I'm in their facial recognition system and they had more than three billion
2: images. And they did this without getting permission in most cases from which is against the terms of service. So everybody, I think, likes to decry social media as an ill when this kind of stuff comes up. but. This was actually explicitly against the terms of service. And there seems to be no legal recourse to actually prevent them from doing it, stop them from having done it. And even if there was, they've done it. And so they already
1: have right. that data.
0: Right. And I, I mean, they're that's being
1: a,
2: sued, but <laughs> the barn
0: door. I think that's a big
1: part <laughs> of what's going on is we have all these new technologies and we're kind of trying to take the old laws that we've had and fit them around that instead of either making new laws or radically changing how we're looking at these things to fit with our concept of freedom.
0: Right. A lot of the laws that are on the books, and this is an important factor for helping us when we decide who to vote for, uh, and we're not going to tell you who to vote for in this show, but but when, one of those things is to, is to think about the... Techno- the the knowledge of technology of the people you vote for because they have to or at least they have to hire people who can help them understand these these uh, issues because a lot of the stuff that's coming out needs to be understood by the people making the laws and there's not just the the largest pack donation from a industry you know a political action committee gets the, to decide what they do you know th- there's there needs to be you know, some expertise among among our legislators because they're going to have to help us. In fact, that's one of the things that IBM uh, and Microsoft and Amazon have said is, look, it's not just up to us to not sell this stuff or to put a moratorium more on it. But it has to, all the legislators, the Congress has to now pass laws to tell you know, to tell everyone this is how you can use this stuff.
2: Well, and that's that's the issue with like Clearview AI, where you have a company that did the lowest possible barrier of tech um, stuff to get all of these images. I mean, and scraping the images from Facebook really was not complicated at all. And it kind of shows by the other apps that they've uh, produced before. The the other apps they've produced before are just ridiculous kind of throwaway apps. And it's this is one of those things where they struck gold because they were willing to uh, step into a gray area. And they might be a one off company, but what they've done now is set up that situation to show how easy it is to do it. And right. then they've turned around and sold it with the pretense of it being an easy way to identify people, which should be it should make everybody's skin crawl. Um, and but there's nothing on the book. There's no law on the book that says this can't be done.
0: Right. And once that database is created, it's out there. I mean, right. Clearview AI goes out of business tomorrow. Somebody comes in and snaps up their assets. I mean, it's just once it, mm-hmm. once you've created something like this,
1: it's there. And they've shown that you anyone can do it. So I'm sure it's been done multiple times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Facebook has itself gotten in trouble for
0: uh, f- facial recognition technology. They were sued beginning in 2015 for, if, if you remember, they had a, a tag suggestion tool you know, they still have it. But back, you know, it, before 2015, it scans the, the face in the photo and then offers suggestions about who that person might be. But that then stored biometric data without user consent, which was apparently violation of Illinois' Biometric Information Privacy Act. So there was a law in the books. It was a state law. And this is another part of the problem is there's a, a million jurisdictions and all the laws could be different. And so- you know in 2018 they started you know uh, changing their the way they did it to to inform you the, of what they're doing which is the keys so you have to um make it an opt in but you know even they ran a foul of this and now they've they've lost their class action suit as of this past january of 550 million dollars which they'll probably appeal and have a settlement or something like that you know that the or, so, or something uh, along those lines so that it, it basically it enriches the lawyers that's the the only winners in these mm-hmm. things um so it's the the decision by the the bottom line. I think is the decision by these three companies doesn't end the story. There's facial recognition is out there. It's on your phone. You know you that's how most of us unlock our phones these days, unless you right. have a you know iPhone SE or something. But you know that it's a facial recognition facial face ID. These various technologies are out there. Will continue to be out there. The question is is how will they be used? This is a conversation that needs to be ongoing, mm-hmm. and uh, we need to we need to have more control of it and people need to be informed about it i think that's the key
2: now i w- I will say if you want a, an interesting business venture going forward a non-obvious way to block facial recognition like some kind of uh, camera manipulating uh light uh, i know there was a, a rapper recently who used a scarf that reflected yep. light but in a non-obvious way so that cameras couldn't take a picture of his face that kind of thing is going to be incredibly important and significant going forward because of this because mm-hmm. it's it's just as easy to say uh, and the, the police in london did this uh, where they put up a, a warning that you were entering a facial recognition zone well if you had to walk through that zone you had you were agreeing basically to this facial recognition technology well a gentleman covered his face and then the police stopped him because it was suspicious that he was covering his face <laughs> put him up against the wall pulled the thing off and took a picture of his face so that he could be uh, run through this facial recognition project and that's that completely violates the concept of what it is to warn a person that they are walking right. through this facial recognition zone so you need something that's not obvious but definitely blocks the visual recognition of your biometrics
1: i read a science fiction story one time that was a uh, about people who had like digital tattoos that would like distort their faces and change mm-hmm. every time mm-hmm. like constantly change which wouldn't work with the way like Face ID works. This is an older story, but like with the way Face ID works, it scans like your bone structure, so it wouldn't do anything for that. But we might end up with something like that at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and then to take it even more, facial recognition is not going is not the end all be all too because they've got new technologies like gait recognition, which is uh, all of us have a unique way of walking. And mm-hmm. so it will – even if your face is turned away from the camera, it could still potentially track you, recognize you. Um, uh, so you're going to have to start putting a pebble in your shoe or something.
1: <laughs> Mystery of silly walks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh,
0: so it's, it's you know, the technology is developing fast. We've got to keep up with it. That's the key, and that's why we have Secrets of Technology. All right. So let's uh, move on to the next dystopian topic and uh, (laughs) uh, talk about the dangers of online voting. This is uh, another one. There's a uh, there's been we've talked about. Uh, vote the dangers uh, related to technology and voting in the past, uh, in the in the distant past when we actually had caucuses <laughs> for the presidential election, uh, where uh, they they had trouble in Iowa with the apps that they were using, and we talked about just some of the issues. Well, now this because of COVID, there's a talk about how can we get people out to the polls in November. Uh, safely so that people aren't going to be exposed and that sort of thing, given the requirements that we're having to deal with. And so some people suggested online voting. Why can't we have online voting? Uh, what do you guys think? <laughs> bad idea? Good idea. <laughs> Horrible <laughs> uh,
1: idea. Why is it a bad idea? Yeah. Well,
0: let's, just, let's just stipulate. Why is online voting a bad idea? Let's let people <laughs> help inform people on that.
1: Yeah. Um, there's no good way currently to verify your identity. With the technology that we have with the like, unless you're giving everyone a locked down scrubbed computer with built in multi-factor authentication and biometrics, there's no way to identify who's actually voting.
0: Which, given the fact that we don't even most jurisdictions, I'm not sure any jurisdiction requires a vote, an ID at the voting booth. Some people would say, well, we, you know, we, we don't require people to to show an ID when they go. You, uh, you know, you could just show up and say, I'm anybody. You know, I'm Joe Schmoe, I live at this at this uh, address and they have to give you the ballot. Uh, so they, right. w- some people might say that, but that's a far cry. In that case, you'd have to physically go down to the voting booth and like and, and do that. You can't, you know, do do a thousand of these a second over the Internet, right. which is what a
1: hacker right. could do.
2: That, that's really more the issue is that that it's easily rep- once you figure out a flaw in the system, it's easily reproducible. You can do it as many times as you want. And then what are you going to do if there's a, a discrepancy and there's two votes cast by the same person? Which one do you go with? Do they both like, get thrown out? Right. Yeah. Do they both get thrown out? And then the, then if that if they do both get thrown out, then the hacker wins. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> right. they've, they've got a the... thousand votes that don't have someone that went to the polls.
0: <laughs> right. They still manipulating the election. Right.
1: And, and yeah, that, then it that makes the bear. Oh, sorry.
0: Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, there's there's all these. People will say, "Well, I do my banking online, you know, and that's secure. I'm willing to 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 take financial risk from my banking online." Which, as someone who's had his bank account hacked <laughs> and and drained, uh, thankfully got the bank made me whole. But but that's not all that secure, and it's different because you know the, the elections are irreversible my bank can say well that was fraudulent i'll just we'll just we're going to give you the give you the money back into your bank account because our our system got hacked but you right. can't like undo a presidential election or a congressional election because somebody got hacked
1: and it's also an issue with your individual security like with your bank and your personal information you you have somewhat of a security through obscurity where they're they, – if they're going to get your stuff, they're going to get it either because they are specifically targeting you because they know you or you're big enough to be targeted or you're unlucky and you get caught in a phishing attack. With something like an election, that's one thing that everyone is focused on, so they're going to be able to hit that. And and
0: you know that as soon as we let, we we put election online, everybody who has an axe to grind, including – Foreign actors, including uh, criminal elements, including mm-hmm. our own political parties, <laughs> you know, po- political groups, and not even ones associated with the parties, but just people who have a v- certain political ideology from across the spectrum. They'll all be trying to manipulate the election, possibly. I mean, the, the number of d- different people who would be trying to d- manipulate things, I mean, it would be chaos. They'd be trying to flip the hundred people trying to flip. Uh, your vote in different directions and right. be flipping back and forth um I yeah it's it's just such a bad idea i mean we can't even make the electronic voting machines that you have to physically stand in front of in a voting place secure yet mm-hmm. uh you know, with the i don't th- i don't know of any tech people who don't have a financial interest in this technology let's just you know let's Take them out and put them aside. I don't know anybody Mm -hmm. who is at all savvy with tech who thinks that this is a a good idea, and that should say something. Well,
2: and I think anybody that's willing to take money for it is not going to be completely honest about the flaws that are present in it. Right. So, and and it's it's funny too because I mean you have the president right now talking about how insecure uh, mail-in ballots are, and they're infinitely more secure than any type of online voting that we could do. Right
0: exactly i mean we've done absentee balloting for ages and there are issues there are potential pitfalls and issues with even absentee right. balloting and there's a reason why historically we've had this is the day you vote you go there and it gets done because it's easier to secure the votes to keep them secure when it's done within a well defined period of time in a, in a particular place uh but even then we've been like you said absentee ballots are infinitely more secure than going on a website or using an app. I mean, just think of how, how often your apps crash, like a, right. a bug mm-hmm. and how often we hear about security holes and all that other stuff.
1: And they're not going to, no matter what they're using, they're probably not going to be able to deal with the traffic you're going to get because everybody's going to be hitting that at the same time. Right. Right.
0: Yes. Yeah. I I just can't imagine that this would be a good idea. One of the things I want to put in the, in the show notes is a blog post uh, from a, a couple of years ago, actually, about one year ago from, oh, what was his name? This blog, I, it, this was a, a well-known tech guy who had sold his company and, and it was decided to do a, uh, a nice thing and help congressional campaigns be more secure um, with their technology to help them log because we've always see, we've we've seen these stories time after time, you know, going all the way back even to um, Sarah remember when Sarah Palin's email account was hacked because mm-hmm. someone guessed the uh, they knew her bio and were able to guess the security question answers because she used the actual answers uh, and and that sort of stuff. So this guy decided I, I'm going to volunteer and spend my own time and money to go around to. Forty-one different Democrat congressional campaigns. He's he he went to the Democrats because that's his particular point of view. That's fine, and he went to the, all these campaigns to help them to to give them basic hour-long campaign security training. He provided them with um, Yuba keys, which are little blue hardware keys. I I have a little. Well, he had the blue ones, but they they're all colors now. But it's a, a an authentication key that you that is you have to. Um, Plug into a computer or a phone or whatnot in order for it to authenticate you along with a password, so you have to have a physical possession of this thing in order to log in and that makes it more secure and he talked about what it was like afterwards and how hard it was to get people to change and to get people to take security seriously. Nobody takes security seriously, and that's that that's the thing even when it's at the at such a high level now. I I gotta say, like I've known people who were involved in security in in government offices at the highest levels, and they took it very seriously. But but in when you get down to like the the congressional campaign level, that sort of thing, which is still an important you know level, they he just, they, it, it's a very interesting article to talk about because yeah. one of the things that 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 he got pushback on was is became an obstacle to fundraising and. If something is an obstacle to fundraising, that's gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as soon as it well, became a problem,
2: yeah. And and I think the thing that a lot of people forget is that security is not something you do one off. It's a process that you set. Yes. Up. And so for a campaign that's going to be around for a couple of years, uh, you know, and it's got it definitely has a limited lifetime. It doesn't have an infinite amount of buy-in. It's not like it's going to be your livelihood for the rest of your life. Um, Trying to set up the process that creates good security is very, very difficult. I have a buddy who's just starting a company and uh, he's dealing with all sorts of HIPAA stuff. And it's it trying to tell him, no, we can't just do that because there's a lot of process that needs to go into trying to get this information back and forth. Um, it's very difficult to try and and explain that to everyone involved to his clients to him to to all of the different pieces that need to fall in place um but it's one of those things that you have to say it, it's going to take time you have to start developing the process now and make sure that everybody's following through on the whole thing to say this piece is ready to go and nobody wants to do that
1: <laughs> and it's really hard to when you have to disrupt people's normal routines like i run into that when you're trying to get people to understand why they have to change their passwords or why they have to use two-factor authentication. Two-factor. Like yeah. anything that is an additional step or is not invisible, people do not want to do. There's
0: been um, studies that actually come out and said that making people change their password every 30 days makes them less secure. Uh, right. For be- partly because people that start using insecure passwords and, and all that sort of thing. But... Uh, one of the things that that's a problem with the especially election you know campaigns is you've got volunteers, you've got consultants, you know hired guns. People like you said, they're, they're this isn't their career; they're in this for a short period of time, um, and there and, and a lot of stuff is running gun. You got it's quick moves, quick. You've got to you know here there, and you got people coming and going, and it it becomes very difficult to uh, to, to a to keep track. Um, but you've, it. it's just, it's never top of mind, this sort of stuff. And I find it even like in my own family, like, we, you know, with my wife trying to talk to her about why it's so important that we, that I have a very, you know, a, a difficult password for our, our Apple, uh, you know, iTunes account, because... Mm-hmm. You, you gotta have like because that's the one she's got to type in all the time and it's like well you but it's got to be a good password or someone could break it and steal you know buy stuff on her account and like and i haven't even tried to do the two-factor with with those accounts with her because it's just i know how difficult it would be and we, part of the problem is the technology of passwords we we mm-hmm. need to we need to move beyond password technology and this kind of goes back to the, our first discussion which is we need better biometric security to safeguard things because we're still even with face id on my phone and my ipad like i just tried to activate my ipad to turn turn the lights back on in my office because they automatically went off because smart home uh but uh <laughs> it's like oh uh for some reason the the face id isn't working you have to enter your password and i'm like oh i can't i can't enter it in the middle of the show yeah the whole point of is uh, face id is you uh, you just work without me having to do anything. Right. So, yeah. until we get better security gates, I don't think we're going to have better security. I think that's a big part of it.
1: I think we're definitely getting there. Yeah. Like even with like the face ID on the phone, like you, like the issue of I've had recently is because you're wearing a mask, or you're in the store, you can't unlock your phone. Oh, yeah. Um, but most of the time, I haven't entered my actual Apple password in a long time. So I think we're going to get to the point where it's going to be tied more to you as a person and what you have than to a random string of characters that you have to remember and then forget and then reset.
0: Well, one of the things I love like is I have an Apple Watch. So uh, when I have the watch on and it's activated, I sit down on my Mac, I just hit a button and it unlocks or it's supposed to. <laughs> Again, mm-hmm. half the time it doesn't. But but it's supposed to. And I'm thinking, and, and and during this whole COVID thing, I've been, wherever I shop takes Apple pay and I don't have to touch anything. I just activate Apple pay on my watch, wave it over the thing. It works, which is great. And I'm thinking, why doesn't my phone un, like? And, and that's the other thing is I have it so that when my phone unlocks, my watch unlocks. Okay. Well, why does it go the other way? If mm. my watch is active and on my wrist and thus I can use it to pay for stuff. Why can't I have it unlock my phone? Like, you know, if it'll unlock my computer, why don't it unlock my phone? And I'm hoping I'm hoping this someone at Apple thought of this and it's going to be in iOS 14 coming up. But, you know, this is the sort of like you said, this is the sort of thinking, you know, we need to get better at this. It has to it's we're on the cusp of it, but it, it's not quite there yet. And that's my hope for this stuff. Right. Uh, yeah. So, uh, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll we'll see. We you know, it'll should be interesting to see uh, how, uh, how this all goes uh, if if they still push this coming this fall. So let's talk about some headlines that have been coming up this week. And one here's this one headline I saw this on my local paper because this started as a local story, but this has gone national. This is just great. Uh, it just encapsulates so much about technology. So, uh, eBay. Uh, There there was this couple who had a blog that the mainstream media called it a newsletter. They had a blog that was critical of eBay. And apparently I always say this. I I used to say this when I worked for the Archdiocese of Boston to people ignore critical bloggers. Giving them attention feeds them. Makes it worse. Makes it worse. (laughs) Ignore them and they go away. Nobody pays it. But nobody listens to me. Anyway, these these bloggers who are in suburban Boston. We're writing this blog that was critical of eBay, and apparently for good reason. Uh, six eBay employees have now been charged with a federal crime for harassing them. And there is hints in the stories that, the, that actually goes much further than these six employees, much higher up, and may, in fact, go all the way up to the former CEO of eBay, who has since left the company. So uh I mean they they sent them stuff in the mail like
2: like books I was gonna for- say you have to talk about what they did because it's <laughs> <Yeah>. insane.
0: <laughs> they uh they sent them uh, a book about how to how to survive the loss of a spouse. Uh that's not a threat. Uh a mask like of a of a, a of a scary like diseased pig or something. Oh weird. Um I love this one uh fly larva live spiders and uh, i think like, like snake eggs or something from some you know science supply company it said like on the outside or, or cockroach eggs or something like that uh that they said they didn't open they just threw away like uh just all these things they sent them I, i'm not sure who is were they spending ebay's money to send this to them i don't know and then they even flew across the country to massachusetts to spy on them in their home and i'm like wow why like what was i i still don't have the whole story like what these people were saying on their blog and what prompted this did they have an action like were they getting so much attention have you guys seen anything on this I just i've seen that i've some... seen
2: this story but and my, <laughs> yeah, my wife actually yeah. brought this story up this week like she was telling me about it and i'm like
1: wait what do they have some actual dirt on someone that people don't actually know about because i don't see even if it's a blog that's really critical that lots of people are reading i'd never heard of the story until i saw this and i doubt most people mm-hmm.
0: had right right I, it's been picked up by like the, the tech blogs like in gadget and the others and i think it even got into like cnn and those guys too because how could you not run a story about ebay executives sending bloody pig masks to <laughs> to a blogger yeah. and getting charged with a crime for it uh but yeah it it it's a very strange story and i i i i, I can't wait to hear the the more details because um you know, in fact there's more in it since the last time um they had a they i think they were trying to talk about the um uh, financial compensation that certain executives were getting so what mm-hmm. they were being paid. Uh maybe some lawsuits that were on the way, and it sounds like they actually had dirt on these guys that they were a little worried about that might be it
2: hmm. yeah, yeah, well, and I will remind everybody that eBay was in our uh news cycle not too long ago for the whole uh the port scraping thing uh when you visited the website, so I don't know yes. what's going on at eBay, but it's not good <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right, yeah, I've bought stuff on eBay not a lot i I don't know that I would be spending a lot of money through eBay, I certainly wouldn't want to be building a business, which some people do, of selling stuff through eBay, you know making mm-hmm. my living on that. So, so uh that's something we'll we'll ha- we'll definitely be keeping track of because that's just <laughs> too too delicious to to uh, to ignore. Uh we have another headline. This one uh we talked about this a few weeks ago, the Internet Archive, which is a wonderful Nonprofit resource that does things like the internet wayback archive, the Wayback machine that keeps uh, an archive of every website and its changes over time. Uh, they have something called the the uh open Library that, uh, as we explained it before, they digitize a book and then they have a physical copy of, of of the books, several of them in a warehouse somewhere and you can check out that book through the open library. And get an ebook version of that, that digitized version uh, of that book, downloaded for a period of time, and then no one else can check out that book, quote unquote, uh, while you have it. And so, if they have six copies, only six people at a time can have the the uh, downloadable ebook of that. Um, and that's of questionable whether that's allowable under copyright. There's the, the, there's some legal theory for and against it, but. The publishers were generally OK. Well, what happened was, as we explained, uh, when the COVID lockdown started and public libraries and bookstores were closed, Internet Archive said we, we have an emergency library. We're no longer limiting how many copies of any book we'll give out. And as of June 1st, the the four major publishers filed a lawsuit you know, because <laughs> of, mm. of uh, copyright infringement. So uh, the... Internet Archive has announced that they're they've closed their emergency library early. It was supposed to only go through June thirtieth anyway uh but they've they've gone back to the way they were now the question is is whether these com- these publishers are going to drop their suits or not or whether they've opened the door and they're going to walk through it. What do you guys think?
1: I just hope that they don't go a step further and try to shut it down completely because yeah. I feel like that might be the next thing that's coming, yeah yeah this is kind of
2: the excuse of uh hey look what they can do we need to stop them from doing it yeah so they're gonna want you to get it through kindle yeah well and i I think you know i talked to my wife about it because my wife is a former librarian and so she Mm -hmm. uh you know wanted to hear what her input was and she had a lot of really good insights about it first off she said that um you know the the Publishers have gotten into a lot of issues lately with holding back on the ebooks from the libraries because yes. they wanted to make sure that they could increase book sales and things like that. And then they found that people who downloaded the copies of the ebooks actually ended up going out and buying the book more often than not. Uh, and so it actually increased their sales to let these uh, copies of the ebooks out. But that they might be worried about a quality issue. That might be something that they're. Um, you know, that they want to make sure that they're selling the copy of uh, the the digital copy of the book so that it looks proper and it works on your machine correctly. Uh, but that that could be a way for them to leverage this whole thing and say, hey, look, if you liked the digitized version that you got there, look at the version that we have that has these extra formatting things to it that make it easier to navigate and better. But then the the thing that she pointed out is that the problem that you really run into is that in other countries libraries don't work the way they the same way they do here because uh, in some countries the libraries lend books and have to pay per lend so they pay mm. the publishers per time that the book is checked out mm. so that oh wow and and also that in the United States most of these books are rented so they they don't act, the library doesn't actually own the copy they rent the copy for a while and and then the publisher will replace it if it gets damaged but then after a while it comes out of the library circulation, not because it's gone bad or anything, but because the library is no longer renting it. And so those two issues uh, are are problematic when you have something like this where people can go online and access a digitized version of the book anytime they want to because now if you're in a for- another country where they do charge per lend, you're, they're not getting that charge back from the person going to the Internet Archive and checking out the
1: digital version.
0: Interesting.
1: I wonder if maybe publishers are just in the same position that record companies were in about 20 years ago when all the DRM mm. stuff was going on and all that eventually settled out to you can sell unencrypted MP3s. And then, but now no one even buys digital music anymore. We just have streaming services. So I wonder if that's going to be the way books go but I could see it not just because books are more like movies where it's a long form kind of thing. Like a song Mm -hmm. is three to five minutes long, but if you're going to get a book, you're going to be investing several hours into it at least.
0: Yeah. I mean, Amazon has had the Kindle unlimited library for a while where, you know, you could pay a flat fee and get every book in the unlimited. But I, every time I look at it, I'm like, there's nothing here I want to read. Like, (laughs) like it's not everything. And until it's everything, (laughs) I'm not, paying, I forget what it was, like 10 bucks a month. I mean, I'd pay, given how many books my family goes through on a on a regular basis, frankly, what we pay in library late fees, but that's a whole other <laughs>
2: discussion. <laughs>
0: uh, <Yep. laughs> I'd pay a substantial amount of money a month to give unlimited access to books. I'd love that. And, and I would pay it. So yeah, like it, 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 Apple Music or Netflix from books instead of movies or that sort of thing or music. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is interesting. That whole idea that of the paying for like in some places, publishers are getting money per rental per, and that's essentially mm-hmm. what it is. It's a rental fee, you know, the, right. the, at those libraries. Um, the, the legal theory is, you know, we've got the book and someone's checking it out. They're just checking out in a different form, which is similar to what some of these streaming TV services have tried to claim, about the way that they do mm-hmm. things, uh, they those were not successful in the courts so far. Although Lowcast is trying it again in a whole nother way, uh, we'll see how that works out. But uh, it would be interesting to, that publishers may not want to pursue this uh, because of the mm-hmm. potential downsides for them. So their pro- their lawyers are probably going to weigh that the potential downsides and maybe just settle out of court or something along those lines. Um, we'll we'll have to keep an eye on that, but. Uh, Potentially interesting result there. Um, So let's talk about our next one. This is a good one. I like this one. (laughs) Disney almost bought Twitter in 2016. And could you imagine what Twitter would be like today? (laughs) If it were run by Mickey and Goofy, well, it's frankly, it feels sometimes it feels like it's being run by Goofy, but you know, (laughs) Uh, now this was Bob Iger, the former Disney CEO says in his autobiography, which is coming out, but some of the details have come out early uh, is that uh, he said that they almost bought Twitter in 2016. They got very close and then he got cold feet and told the board, this is a bad idea. What do you guys
1: think of this? would would what, what, what would this been a bad idea for disney to buy twitter i think that he definitely had the right intuition there because even back before twitter got how twitter is now i don't really see why disney would want to take on the just the headache that curating that or you know looking at that is going to be And right. it doesn't really fit with what they do like they're a media right. company yeah that's not a social media company and i think that's
2: a lot of a lot of people are are still trying to parse the difference between those two things. Right. And it, I, I just don't see how it would have fit with their portfolio, honestly.
0: I suppose if they'd put it under, say, like ABC, which they own, like under a news part of their organization, maybe because, frankly, Twitter is how a lot of people get their news today of what's going on in the yeah. world. Uh, but like even in 2016, remember that election year was like that was... That was the dumpster fire year that we that we all talked about in 2016 of how what a horrible year that was. I think I think nine out of ten people would would take 2016 over 2020 so far. But <laughs> th-
2: that's a whole other thing. But uh, oh, yeah, that's November's coming, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, we're only halfway through <laughs> 2020 at this point. <laughs> I think we're. I think uh, you yeah, this the uh, the uh, monkey snipers are scheduled for October. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: because <laughs> uh, we already cool. had the murder hornets. Uh, so.
1: The green uh, yeah,
0: this just I just like I would like you guys. I just don't understand like how it even got to the point where somewhere where it where the board approved the idea and the CEO had to had to pull back from it at that point. Like I like what was the synergy that was being proposed before that? I just don't get it.
1: Is Twitter even profitable? Because I know for a long time they were not. I
0: think they've finally gotten on the positive side of the ledger. OK. Yeah, I mean even Facebook is making money now. I mean Facebook made like had a 21 billion dollar profit in the fourth quarter. I mean they're they're wow. raking wow. in bucks on advertising. And I think Twitter, part of the Twitter's problem was because they had all these third-party apps that didn't show their ads mm-hmm. that they were mm-hmm. it was hard for them to sell ads and they finally <laughs> turned all that off basically. Uh and now everybody has to w- see the ads. And so I think that might be how they're getting toward profitability uh but yeah
1: mm. it might have it might have just been like old companies wanting to buy new companies to remain relevant that would yeah. not have been the thinking that was going into that but it doesn't make sense for them it's, right it's disney it's disney's always going to be relevant <laughs> oh right. star wars I mean, that's Marvel. one of the things they're really good at right yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. i mean they got they own like the four of the five top intellectual property you know, units uh, of entertainment today. You know, I mean, just come on. They, they, the only thing they don't own is Tolkien and Star Trek. <laughs> those those yeah. are still independent uh, so far. So uh, uh, let's let's talk about our, our last uh, headline for tonight, which is uh, this interesting story. SpaceX, in addition to sending the Crew Dragon up to the space station, has got its other uh, deals going on, including the Starlink. Uh, satellite system, which is going to be thousands of these low-Earth orbit satellites that are intended to bring um, ubiquitous uh, uh, internet access, high-speed internet access everywhere, including uh, into rural areas without having you know uh cell phone towers everywhere so you could be in the middle of yellowstone and get phone calls from the office which sounds like a great idea doesn't it and uh <laughs> but uh, so there's some, yeah there's there's some interesting quirks about this which is that the idea for the funding this is is supposed to come out of this fund that the FCC administers for rural internet access they have 16 billion dollars that they've got to give out to companies that bring high speed internet to rural areas that are that aren't being served now and in order one of the requirements is that they have to have low latency under 100 milliseconds and the SEC's chairman doubts that any of these low earth orbit companies including spacex will ever reach this level so they shouldn't expect to get funding and the dust is the, there's the this argument back and forth about whether they'll be able to do it uh do you guys have have a sense of how how well what is latency and how the hundred milliseconds compares to what most of us experience
2: <laughs> <laughs> sort of this yeah. is, man I was not ready for this question yeah. <laughs> I could give you a better answer if i got a little if I had a little bit of time to read up on it because um i, I think the 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 differences that um spacex seems to think that they can get 60 and possibly down to 40 yeah uh which is which is pretty good uh but what you're talking about with latency is the the signal return time uh, basically how how quickly the signal bounces back to you from wherever you're going to right the average is 28 milliseconds by the way there you go. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so, so they're saying they're saying 60 down to 40 uh is is what SpaceX is officially proposing. Um now I'm not sure how it's going to work. That and that's that's my big issue is like I the, if the satellites are actually orbiting the earth, which they must be doing. Yep. Uh they can't always be overhead. And I would imagine that they can't always be near enough to overhead to provide uh
1: that kind of signal strength but i'm not sure i think that's what they want though is they want to have like thousands and thousands and thousands of satellites up in the air so there's always yes. going to be a satellite overhead which as an amateur astronomer i don't like that right But yeah. i think that's what they're going for in terms of literally blanketing the planet so it's like in wally
0: see it's yay <laughs> yeah yay. <laughs> 10, ten th- yeah tens of thousands of satellites are talking about from altitudes from 540 to 570 kilometers compared to geostationary satellites, which are at 35,000 kilometers. Uh, so fairly low. Huh. And they're even aiming for, like Elon Musk you know, has said, and he's always saying stuff, but he said they're aiming for latency below 20 milliseconds. And that's important for things like, well, Zoom meetings you know to have a, mm-hmm. a a Skype call like we're doing right now you, it needs to be fairly low so that it feels like a real time conversation or if you're doing a you know a ga- online gaming you you need to be able to shoot the guy and have it hit him before he can react <laughs> and that sort of thing so it, it, latency that's you know where latency becomes important and uh yeah the one of the things that they they said you know oh well it's just physics. It's it's a it's a factor of how fast it takes to you know how long it takes to transmit a signal from five hundred forty kilometers to the face of the earth. We can do that, you know, speed of light, and therefore, under under a hundred milliseconds. And it and the FCC chairman Ajit Pai says. um that's just one small link in the entire chain, because right. there's all kinds of other things like how you route the the traffic and how you transmit it from one satellite to the
1: next and all the other elements in it. It's not just right. from the satellite to Earth and back. It's going to go from your phone to the satellite, then down. Right, right. You're going you're going to a different satellite.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's yeah. like the same satellite is not going to be just like sitting over your house for you to beam back and forth to. So.
0: Yes, you're going to be switching satellites that's got to travel <laughs> through their network. How do they route it? There's all kinds of factors that will be involved. Uh, so, But but there's this other issue that you bring up, Jack, which is, you know, so st- SpaceX will put its 30,000 satellites in orbit or however many it is. And then another company is going to come along and it's going to put its 40,000 satellites in orbit. And, and right. then we're going to, we'll be able to walk a, through low Earth orbit, from one satellite to the next, because there would be <laughs> so much junk in there, and it's gonna, you know, the, the it, it it's a problem. Uh, wh- Makes what, me wonder
2: how they're gonna keep launching SpaceX uh craft into space.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna have big scoops on the front to push stuff aside as they go through the, <laughs> <in> the cloud. <laughs> yeah. Way, yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's <laughs> an interesting problem. Uh, I so I love the idea of getting gigabit performance everywhere without having to have a router sitting in my in my you know, office and being connected to a cable out to the to the wire on the pole i love the idea of having you know high-speed internet wherever my device is uh, i don't love the idea of not being able to see the stars <laughs> through right. a telescope or you know or, you know and these other issues um but but it is interesting that I, I didn't know about this 16 gigabyte rural um internet initiative which is probably where the that Dollar twenty five a month that's on my bill for government, mm. <laughs> the, the government fees or something that on my on my monthly uh, phone bill is going. That uh, interesting to know. Um, all right, so I think that uh, does it for our headlines. We can uh, move on to our picks of the week. And uh, Thomas, let's start with
2: you. What, what's what do you have for a pick for us this week? So my pick is not strictly technology based, but I'm sure you're going to use some kind of technology to figure it out. Um, My kids just started getting camp in a box this week. Um, All of our summer camps in the area are canceled because of uh, the current situation. And so they decided, uh, especially our Girl Scout council and our Boy Scout um, council in the area, they decided that they were going to send camp to the, the scouters. And so what they did was they just packaged up a box of stuff to do and sent it to us. And they have the the, the kids get on a call with someone at the beginning of the day or or at the end of the day, depending on the days. And they do a small meeting with all of the other campers, a small Zoom style meeting. I think they are actually using Zoom for the Girl Scouts this week. Uh, And then they do the camp. And so they have all these activities laid out for the day that are lots of fun stuff that they necessarily wouldn't necessarily have been able to do on their own or that we wouldn't have had time to go out and get. And so it's just like a collected box. And then when I got online looking for it, there are all sorts of summer camp in a box uh, initiatives out there. So I encourage you to go find something for one of the little ones in your life that's probably sitting at home bored and get them a camp in a box.
1: Excellent. That's really cool. Can they actually earn merit badges through that? They can. Yes. Uh, Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's all all, uh, they're going to be doing like an urban hike uh, soon. That's just, you know, walking around your neighborhood and uh, checking for things. And then some of them do actually lead to uh, parts of the Merit Badge program. Oh, nice. That's awesome.
0: I mentioned a while ago that I was leading a uh, I'm a Merit Badge counselor for BSA and uh, I was doing a Merit Badge uh, class online through using Google Classroom for a bunch of kids Mm -hmm. over in digital technology, which seemed appropriate and uh there you go. yeah so it yeah they're they're doing it which is cool I, I like i like the fact that the and my my uh my oldest she she just did a merit badge in astronomy using the same technology so uh it's really nice yeah it's it's so tough right now for the kids for you know in scouting or whatever they're doing so this is a nice idea hey if you got a if you own a tent and you have a backyard you know set up the tent
1: in the yard and camp you out with them do. too And look at the SpaceX satellites. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy (laughs) them. (laughs) Is that a constellation?
0: No, it's just Elon Musk's (laughs) Tesla Roadster going by again. (laughs) Uh, So, Jack, what's your pick this week?
1: All right, my pick is a pretty low-key one. It's this app I found um, on the App Store. It's just for iOS, um, and it's free. It's called Stars with two S's, so S-T-A-R-S-S. It's just a, a RSS feed reader that is styled like the L-Cars from Star Trek The Next Generation. And the nice. fun thing about it is is that it removes all the touchscreen functionality within the app itself, so you have to use the physical controls in the app. It's it's not much more than an RSS reader, but I, I want someone to make something like this for my computer so I can make it all L-Cars, and it's actually <laughs> really, really well done for what it is.
0: Nice. I like so. that. I'm definitely yeah, getting It's that. a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> you Trek nerds. It's got, it's got all the sound effects, and you can even activate red alert.
0: I breathe with all both right. lungs. I'm Star Trek and Star Wars. Just, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's cool. I'm definitely getting that. So my pick this week is, um, well, it's a little self-serving, but it's it's a series of blog posts I've done uh, starting over a year ago. Uh, I, think, I think I got, like, five posts out of it on how I do podcasts from what hardware I use all the way through how I research and prepare for shows, how we do the recording, how I edit, how I promote it and just in, and put it in distribution, the whole soup to nuts. Um, I often get people asking me, well, if I want to start a podcast, what do I do? Well, I, this isn't the only way to do a podcast and there's plenty of ways to do it. And you don't even need all the equipment that I use, but it's just, this is what I do, and it gives you an idea of of how it works. So, um, and it, it's not the end all be all, like I said. It's, uh, there are people who are much better at editing audio than I am, for for certain. But uh, and I would love to hear from them and get some tips and, and help. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but this is uh, I'll put a link to the first part of the the first blog post in a series and it has links to all the others in it and uh check it out and if you have questions if i you know any leads to any questions i'm happy to answer them um all a rising tide lifts all boats and the more podcasts there are the better for all of us so i really would appreciate uh seeing more podcasts out there all right, so those are some great picks uh, this week. I'm really happy to see those. Uh, as we wrap things up, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Technology, including a few a few new ones this week. Uh, we want to welcome Albert A. and Megan S. Uh, we we'll also thank Scott H., Laurent S., and Dan F. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So if you have any feedback on our discussion, anything you would like to comment on, any of the topics we talked about, you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuest Media or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. And of course, I'll put links to all of the headlines from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. Remember to like each episode of Secrets of Technology on Facebook, where you can find it there, and retweet them on Twitter, where we're at sqpn, and leave us comments. We love to engage with you on social media. We love to hear from from you all, uh, especially uh, what you think of the things we talk about. So until next time, Thomas Sanerho, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Technology. It's my pleasure. Jack Barazzini, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest.